we want influencers to always tell their story. So the way I like to explain it is a Venn diagram. Like this is the brand tone of voice on social. This is the influencer's voice. We want a conversation in the middle. People go to work every single day. There's the nine to fivers, the work from homers, the doers, the dreamers, the list goes on. But what does it take day in and day out to succeed in these careers? This is the Experience A Day in the Life podcast. We're your hosts, Krista Bowe and Matt Poe. The concept is simple. Each episode, we take you through a day in the life of a different job, hour by hour. We call this an adittle, spelled A-D-I-T-L, which stands for a day in the life. In this episode, we'll experience a day in the life of Lisette Calvero, who's Director of Influencer Marketing at Ogilvy. And if you're a little confused what Director of Influencer Marketing means, don't worry because it's actually a brand new role. She's kind of a pioneer of the field. What makes her even more uniquely qualified is she's a lifestyle influencer herself. Yes, definitely. She's a lifestyle influencer herself, focused on travel, personal style, career advice, life hacks, and, you know, like other topics that affect busy millennials. So you can find her on Instagram and TikTok at Lisette Calv. The agenda on this day is jam-packed, tons of value. She has an epic morning routine. She had data analysis on influencer campaigns. She was engaging on social media. She was planning for an influencer trip. She was planning for a speaker series, contracts work, digital brand integrations, influencer consulting work, TikTok videos, content shoots, and so much more. Which tasks are for Ogilvy? And which are for her side hustle, you ask? Sorry, no spoilers. Let's learn how she juggles two demanding jobs and how she grew her own Instagram and TikTok pages. Let's jump right in. It's 7 a.m. in the theater district in Manhattan, and Lisette is waking up and ready to start her 2020-20 morning routine. The idea stemmed from a book she read called The 5 a.m. Club, 20 minutes of working out, 20 minutes of meditation, and 20 minutes of studying, which for Lisette could be reading a chapter of a book or watching YouTube tutorials. On this day, she read a chapter of Do Cool Shit by Mickey Argwawal. And it's this concept of when you wake up in the morning, your brain is so susceptible to things. So if checking your phone is the first thing you do, it's probably not best because you're susceptible to whatever you're seeing. It's when you're most vulnerable. So why not use it to, you know, get your endorphins up and to align yourself and to learn something new so you can really hold that information. The 5 a.m. piece is about that time of day and you know if you want to be successful and productive you got to do it before everyone else because by 9 a.m everyone's trying to be productive and successful mm-hmm. so let's start your day as early as possible the book mentions setting triggers in place so it motivates you even more to wake up that early an example a set shared was to turn off the slow cooker after cooking overnight so your place doesn't burn down to the ground This is one of those days, though, where she hit the snooze button and slept in just a little bit longer. But if you ask me, 7 a.m. is early enough. After her 2020-20 routine is complete, 8 a.m., she pivots to working on her side hustle. So let's meet Lisette and learn more about what she does. 
My name is Lisette Calvero, and my official title is Director of Influencer Marketing at Ogilvy. And I also have a side hustle that will be full-time hustle um, where I am a consultant and content creator under my own brand. Very cool. And what's the brand name? So I actually called it Marketable Millennial as of like eight years ago, but it's always publicly just my name, like Lisette Calvero. So LLC, legally, you'll see Marketable everywhere, but TBD if that's how I'll keep it. So you can find me on Instagram, my name, Lisette Calv, because that's all that would fit in a handle. <laughs> and on there, I talk about my experience as an influencer strategist, just generally, and trying to give creators advice on how to build their own businesses online. I also talk a lot about travel style and just general lifestyle, because I know a lot of people just like to know. Your full-time gig. Yes. Who are the clients that you're working with and you know what services do you provide in your department to those yeah. clients? So the way that Ogilvy is structured right now, it's actually very integrated. And mm -hmm. what that means is I work closely with the PR teams where a campaign might have an influencer component from that. So maybe they need a celebrity spokesperson and I'm helping them find the right person. Maybe they're doing a campaign where they need social influencers. And the types of clients I work with a lot are consumer so we do have a lot of Fortune 500 companies, a lot of major brands in the consumer space, and that's generally where we sit. What that means is, you know, a lot of these bigger companies that have a ton of brands under them. So it's not just one specific brand that I work with all the time. Back to the day. 8 a.m., she's working on admin tasks and combing through emails for her side hustle. The goal at the end of this time block is to organize the rest of her time blocks between Ogilvy and the side hustle based on the deadlines and priorities. So the basis of the way the side hustle is right now. So Marketable LLC is the official business entity because it's just a bunch of gigs under one, right? And the content creation part for social media is where a lot of my revenue comes regularly. So I'm regularly doing sponsored content for brands on my own channel, but also sometimes I'm doing some content creation um, for a brand where I'm not posting, but I'm going in and curating what their social feed could look like, doing photography for them. I used to have a couple of freelance um, consulting gigs where I was doing influencer strategy as well. So that 8 a.m. time is really just to organize what I need to make sure I accomplish that day with the limited time I have. So I'm figuring out, you know, I already shot the content. Is it edited? Do I need to edit it? Do I need to submit something? What do I need to check my emails? Is there anything urgent that I need to answer right now? Or can I save these things for later? What are your time management skills or um, advice for anyone that wants to sort of bring on a side hustle, but also have a full-time job? Great question. So time management is hugely important when you have a side hustle. I think one of my biggest tips is blocking out time and committing to it because it's very difficult to say, I want to do both. And if you keep going back and forth or trying to multitask between the main hustle and the side hustle, there's no way you're giving 100% to each. So blocking out time to do tasks for one or the other, no matter what time of day it is, will 100% help you. And I have, I'm a big believer in focusing your time on one task for 20 minutes will save you 60 minutes of multitasking. 
It's 9.30 a.m. and after wrapping up her to-do list for her personal brand, Lisette was out of the door and walking to her office. She only lives three avenues away and has the option to work from home once a week. This was arranged even before the whole coronavirus, work from home, social distancing mandates went into place. So that's pretty cool. Before we set the scene of her office office, let's set the scene of her home office. How do you set yourself up for success working from home? Because I feel like that's a whole nother mm-hmm. battle for people. <laughs> so Ogilvy is actually really great about work from home policies. It's very um, manager to employee relationship based. So you just have to ask. I think they're very understanding that the way the industry has evolved, being in the office does it is not the only way you're doing work. But of course, you have to be disciplined enough to be able to connect when you need to get your work done. I think one of the biggest challenges, you know, moving into the question of how to work from home is checking in because it can mm. feel like you're not working. And Oftentimes, it's a feeling that you as the worker have versus your team. Your team's probably not thinking it Mm because they're in their own work, but making sure you're checking in at the appropriate time and then setting up your space to be productive. So what I do at home, I have a big rule at never work from bed because bed is sleep and reading space. I realized that when I had my laptop in bed, I'm getting cozy, I'm getting comfortable, and I'm not really productive. So you know, knowing that the goal is to work from home 100% of the time as a freelancer, I actually just built a desk and it totally changes the game for me. And I have a super small apartment, so I got a like a 24 inch like writer's desk. My laptop fits in it, a couple books, and it's been great. Oh, fabulous. You want to set the scene for us, the office and maybe your office space in general? When you walk in, it's they've done a lot of work to renovate, you know, with big screens and our campaigns are on them and it's very cool and buzzy. But then when you go into the working offices, it's like the tall cubicles. Mm. And so you're kind of like in your own space. And while I enjoy that sometimes because you have the two screens, and you can like get a lot of work done. I actually prefer to step out into the creative spaces they have in the agency. So my favorite is the 10th floor and it's huge glass windows where you just see all of New York City. And when it's this bright sunny day, I sit there and I work from there and it's magical. After settling in, it's 10 a.m. and Lisette met with her team to discuss the results of a campaign they ran. In these types of meetings, they pile through the data and they create customizable reports to send to the client. Lisette told us that influencer marketing still doesn't have a lot of industry-wide benchmarks, so the results need to address how successful or unsuccessful a campaign was based on different types of variables, things that are untraditional in marketing, like engagement, saves, likes, things like that. This meeting was about a campaign that already happened, but let's talk about how campaigns start in the first place. So campaigns can be a couple of things. They can be a whole advertising campaign with a lot of elements, or they can be just influencer campaigns where the basis of the output is just influencer content. You know, the life cycle of that can be from strategy through reporting. Sometimes clients come in saying, we've got this product. We want you to, you know, help us talk about it. Let's come up with a plan. Sometimes they already have the plan and you just have to find the right people to tell that story. In the case of these last examples, um, you know, we had to come up with a strategy from scratch. Mm. So I'll go into it just to kind of give you an example of one brand. But we had a TV we wanted to sell or you know, 
sell as in we wanted to tell that story and it was the holiday time. So we were thinking, how can we talk about a TV in the holidays? So we wanted people to tell their story about their holiday and winter traditions around the TV. So we don't want people to go in and say like, you should buy this TV because, but we want you to tell like, why is a TV so important in your living room? And why do you need one that has the best color possible? Well, it's because I want to see these beautiful videos. You, you make it interesting by having these stories and by letting influencers tell their story as it aligns to the brand. So right. that's kind of the strategy phase. Then of course the life cycle is Content creation. So we develop briefs. There's a lot of visual guidance. There's a lot of messaging guidance. This part can be the toughest sometimes to approve with clients and legal teams. Then we start finding influencers. We send some influencers for them to consider. The finding influencers piece can be either we send them 50 people to pick from and then we reach out. Or in the case of this, because we had a shorter timeline, we reached out to about 10 or 15 people that we really liked. And then whoever was interested, we presented them to the client and said, are you interested in working with them back? Yes. So then we gave them an offer. And then once we had that group in mind, we give them the brief. They create the content, send it back. We're reviewing content, making edits. And what we're looking for is making sure that they're adhering to the brief. So visual, is it in line with the brand? What you're saying, is it accurate? We want influencers to always tell their story. So the way I like to explain it is a Venn diagram. Like this is the brand tone of voice on social. This is the influencer's voice. We want a conversation in the middle. So we get it. Everything's great. We send it back. Now they can post it. They post it. And then we wait about a week to get some reporting information. So data is hugely important now. I'm a big data person. We can talk about it all day. Let's have that conversation. Yeah, and yeah. we really wanna we wanna know how it performed on the back end. So what we all see on social is how many likes for now until they hide, how many comments and the sentiment of the comments. Right, that's data that you can access. On the back end, influencers or content creators can see how many people they reached, how many impressions that generated, so how many times was something seen? Did people save it? Because to us, you know, it's a product. You might want to save it to buy it later. And it's not typical that we see someone buy something the first time they see it. Think of yourself as a consumer. So we, we look at these other metrics to say, you know, marketing funnel, they're moving closer down the, the funnel. Um, you know, it's not just awareness. We think they might be considering it in the future. So all this data in one post on Instagram, we aggregate it to try to find key learnings, to try to find trends, and to also after you report to the client, figure out, are these influencers we want to work with in the future? Because you can see how they perform. I always say with data, you know, social media is one blimp in time. So because they did something once doesn't mean it's going to be exactly the same the next time, but it's, it's a telling sign. So you can start to see their averages. You can start to see like, you know, this person didn't really get a lot of clicks or swipe ups. So they're probably, their audience is not interested in the product. Doesn't mean they're a bad influencer, but probably not interested. They had a lot of impressions though. So they, they've got a really engaged audience or, you know, but there's key learnings that come from that. And we rely on that data a lot. Kind of seems like the wild, wild west yeah. a little bit still. It's so brand to brand. And okay. I, I always say in another life, I was a data scientist because I want <laughs> to dedicate my life to finding the right influencer benchmarks. Um, but it really depends on the brand's goal. That tells us what KPI, what 
data point we're putting emphasis on. So for example, there are brands that will say, we really just need brand awareness. Like no one knows what this is. We need to educate people. So how are we going to educate them? Well, then that means the campaign really has to touch on the the brand or the product um, features. And we really have to make sure people are seeing it. So we're looking at impressions as a huge benchmark. We know from an average standpoint, right? And averages for Instagram change every day. But if 15 to 20% of your audience is seeing content, then that's pretty average. So you as an influencer are performing well, but for the brand, there's no... Like they got to come up with their own benchmarks. Like, Lisette also really- told us some brands will use CPMs or cost per thousand impressions as a benchmark. So they'll calculate how much they spent versus how many impressions they got back. The strategy they choose depends on the budget and the goal, as Lisette just mentioned. Reach is one thing, but relevance is is important. And there are now um, some metrics that are coming out for ROI mm-hmm. in terms of dollar amount because... There's something called the Earned Media Value Index, and not a lot of companies or agencies are using this yet. The people who are are usually influencer marketing agencies. So these are agencies that specialize in influencer campaigns. That's all they do every day. Um, And they're very technology-driven, so they can create data points much quicker than a traditional agency can. Mm -hmm. So one example is this agency partner we work with that we use to find influencers. They have a database and they create this earned media value index off of a publicly available um, AI ticker that's basically saying like today's value of a like is 11 cents today's value of a comment is five dollars so they're giving and not just instagram it's for every every social platform i'm not sure if tiktok is on there yet but this this ticker is kind of updating itself so these companies can very quickly depending on what you received so we receive this many views they can calculate that the challenge is and why i don't love to use that widely and why people probably aren't using it widely. I did not discover America right now Um, (laughs) is because there's a lot of other things that usually go into a campaign. For Mm -hmm. example, exclusivity. If we don't want you to work with another competitor for six months, that's going to cost you a lot of money because you're putting them out of business, right? So to calculate a ROI, like dollar spent versus earned media value, against something like that, now you have to take into account, well, if we remove the exclusivity, what's the real cost of just that one asset? Mm -hmm. So that's why it's difficult to calculate, but some clients will make it work for them. 11 a.m. Lisette took some time and pivoted to her side hustle. She checked her social notifications and engaged with her audiences on Instagram and TikTok. She was also checking her email where she found a few offers that came in to work on campaigns and attend events as an influencer. This is a normal looking inbox for Lisette. She's gotten to the point where she's able to be selective with whom she works with and for how much. More advice on that later, but it took a while for her to get to this point. So let's take it back. Lisette studied public relations at Florida State University and scored a job at an agency in Tallahassee a year before she even graduated. Fast forward two years and she moved back to Miami and worked with the Dana Agency's Miami office. There she focused on regional hospitality accounts and since she was the only person who spoke Spanish eloquently in her office, she became the spokesperson on air for TV segments for her clients. That's where it clicked for her. 
Blogging about these experiences she was having as a busy millennial could allow her to share the stories that she's passionate about and cultivate a community that is too, aka influencer marketing before social media became a thing. <laughs> she started her Hey I'm Alive blog in 2013, and it's grown into her own personal enterprise. But as all businesses do, her side hustle had a few makeovers. The branding in me, you know, said if I'm taking it seriously, I have to revamp everything. That's where I made this name, Marketable Millennial, (laughs) uh, which I still stand by. But I was like, everything is going to, you know, I want to tell millennial stories. I want to tell my story. And I just started to really rebrand everything. And that was my I'm going to take this seriously shift. And what I did is I changed all my handles actually to my name because before they were Laser Liz. (laughs) (laughs) And that was my MySpace persona. Um, And I did a whole Google run in search of myself and made sure everything was clear and built a website for myself and all of that. So that was the the big point where I started to shift things because I just wanted everything to live under one umbrella. So if I was doing on-air things and someone Googled me and wanted to go find out what I'm about, they could easily find me or look me up on Instagram. And those things weren't really achievable how I had them set up before. So I changed everything. So how Lissa ended up at Ogilvy is actually a funny story. She always wanted to work there throughout her entire career. And When she first applied a few years ago, she got a call back, but she missed it. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. And then I called back, and of course I just got sent to like general reception. I'm like, hey, I I know I applied, I got a call back, connect me to someone. I never got connected to the right person. So I was so distraught because I thought I lost my one like way into Ogilvy but as life works itself out always I had also gotten a call back from Havas which is where I was going to next and that was another agency that I had on my list just because of the clients that they had and they were New York based so that goal at that time was to move to New York and it was such a great experience because while it was a PR role, I felt like I was finally in a place, and this happens I feel like in every industry, but that really understood my strengths and skills. And they also rewarded me, promoted me for my strengths and skills. So I had a great experience there. It's why I stayed for about three years. And what helped me get to Ogilvy there actually was within this experience, while I was a PR account lead over time, I was actually building the influencer marketing capability. So what that means is we were already working with influencers and bloggers in different ways, but I helped to shape what that looked like for Havas Formula. So I started to become this expert in the field and really now started to position myself, again, (laughs) rebranding into this influencer marketing expert. There was a time in my tenure there that I realized I need to just focus on influencer marketing because it's a huge business opportunity. And by happenstance number 157, um, (laughs) Ogilvy reached out on LinkedIn um, because my LinkedIn was now optimized to say influencer marketing expert. And they said, hey, we're actually hiring a dedicated role for influencer marketing. Are you interested in interviewing? 
and the rest is history. Ogilvy is also very supportive of Lisette's goals with her platform. The way they look at it is, is because she's an influencer herself, she has a unique perspective clients love. Lisette's been with Ogilvy for over a year and has transitioned into a more project-based role, which gives her even more free reign to work with and consult for brands on her terms. So a fun data point is I ended last year making the same amount of money just from my side hustle as my first New York job. So I was like, if I can survive in New York off of that job and I've made the same on my side hustle, I can survive in New York if I just had my side hustle. Right. And I have savings now. So I, I just wanted to kind of that was the financial barrier, which for me is a huge limiting belief is always finances. I'm like so scared to be in a vulnerable position financially. When I got rid of that limiting belief and I stopped thinking about it, I was like, where, what do I really want? And, you know, to a conversation we had earlier, I prefer the non nine to five schedule. I prefer not having to belong to one single entity. You know, I walk around as an Ogilvy brand because that's my nine to five. It's on my LinkedIn. I just wanted to be responsible for my own brand fully. And knowing that uh, being self-employed, you know, I could also get creative about the type of work I want to do. So if I wanted to work on this client, yes. If I didn't, no, I walk away from it. And that's something that I really wanted to to do. And Ogilvy has been very great about empowering that in me. Best of both worlds, it yeah, seems like. Yeah. yeah. When I first started working with brands, it was very much like, thank you for paying me. I'm so happy to be here. Like, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> happy to be here. Yeah. But over time, you realize the value of that and what I'm giving them. So, and not just like, you should be lucky to be on my page, but the the production that goes into all of this. So in the beginning, it was a lot of my friend, can you graciously take an iPhone photo for me? Now I work with um, a photographer sometimes. I work when I do video content, I outsource that completely to a videographer. So there's a lot of production that goes into it and not just, you know, and, and not thinking about what I want to get paid, but what do I want to spend my time on? Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever I get a brand pitch me, which nowadays it's more of like a like an 80, 20, 80 percent are coming to me, 20 percent I'm coming to them and pitching an idea. But I immediately think, is this something I have used before or would genuinely use? And actually, FTC guidelines, the new ones, say that it's illegal to talk about something you've never used. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't so, know that. Mm-hmm. That's my first criteria. Like, what I actually use is cool. Usually, brands, when they reach out, will tell you, is this going to be paid or not? And why I need to know that is because, is this going to be worth my professional time, yes or no? They won't really tell you a dollar amount. Um, sometimes they will. And then you can kind of go back and say, hey, you know, I love this idea, but here's my rate for something like that. But I I, I try to think about that when they first reach out because it, it can be a lot to negotiate too. Like that's a, a lot of hours. And then also the space, right? So while you don't want to work with a direct competitor, like within a month's time, because that just is wrong. You also maybe don't want to work with things that don't complement each other. Like if I'm talking about, you know, how much I love sustainable fashion, like I'm not going to work with H&M tomorrow. So you have to make sure that you have that it works for your brand. So those are kind of the filters that I use when I first get reached out by someone. And then we go into negotiation about not just price but what we want to do so something I've learned over time and I'm I 
I'm gladly very good at now is brands will come to you and say like, we want to hire you for one Instagram post. Da, da, da. And I'm like, hey, you know, I love this product, but I think the best way to tell this story is you want me to generate clicks to your website? We should do Instagram story because no one can click on my feed. We should probably do this. I think this works well on TikTok. So really working with brands and going back and saying, I love where you're going with it, but let me give you some insight on what I think will work best for you. And that comes off like brands love that because they really feel like you're going to be a good partner to them and you know your own self and your own channels and your audience you know what's going to work for them would you say that's the consensus among the community of instagram influencers where they kind of take on this mindset of collaboration versus you know i'll do whatever you ask me for the right price not the consensus Mm. and I think we 100% have to be doing that more I'm actually trying to talk about that more on my own platform and educating influencers on like you are a business you have to have a business mentality and people want to work with great partners like you've never hired someone again that only spoke to you once sent you a photo and like goes ghosts you like you want to work with a good partner To drive the point of being a good partner home even further, Lisette has made it a point to make sure the campaign is performing the best it possibly could for both parties. The example she used was spending $20 of her own money to advertise the campaign beyond her audience that follows her to the brand's overall target market. She'll over deliver on expectations and even strategically plan when she'll post the curated content the brands want and the real real talk her audience wants to hear on her stories. So it's a win win for everyone. Apps like Planoly are really useful for her to organize all of this. We're back at 11 a.m. You start your morning looking through your social and making sure that you made your content for the day. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about sort of how your content has evolved, the content strategy, and what. how do you think about creating content? Yeah. So at that time, I'm probably trying to check off a couple things on my to-do list. I think that day was pretty good about my to-do list. (laughs) And content-wise, I usually have my content scheduled the night before. And by scheduled, I mean it's saved in my drafts of Instagram and it's ready to go live. I actually have at least two weeks of content already planned out. What I don't have is a full-fledged caption sometimes because I I just have thoughts. So on my planally, I'll put like a sentence or I have this notes on my phone of just thoughts, like a quote that I read that I really want to emphasize or an idea that I really want to talk about. And then the night before or maybe that morning, I'm writing a full-fledged caption because I do like to write those in the moment. Sponsored content has to be approved in advance. That's already like done. But I like to write a lot in the moment because I feel like that's really when... It comes out naturally. You never know, like something that day might have changed my opinion on something. In terms of content strategy, having a full-time job has made it difficult to plan too long ahead because scheduling photo shoots can be difficult around weather and your other commitments now, and I always recommend it. um, I am planning at least a month in advance, and I have my specific days that I'm going to be shooting non-sponsored content because I do have a schedule for that but for non-sponsored content making sure I batch so that I'm not worrying about you know sporadically doing things like I'll pick one day out of the week we'll work for three hours with a photographer or myself because I do a lot on my tripod 
get it done, and now I've got two weeks worth of content maybe that I, I can post. Do you change clothes within that time? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> what's really fun is watch me be on a photo shoot. So I always have a, a, a suitcase, a carry-on. And a carry-on, I have props, outfits, and I'm just lugging it all through New York City if I'm going to do multiple shoots that day. Noon rolls around and Lisette and her co-workers were celebrating a birthday in the office. Even though the birthday girl is not on Lisette's team, she thinks it's crucial to build a presence for yourself at work. This is how you grow and meet others and remain a valuable asset in the workplace, no matter who you're working for, no matter what team you're on. 1230, Lisette attended a meeting with her team to discuss logistics of an influencer trip they planned with a food and beverage brand with Irish ties. If you're as unfamiliar with influencer trips as I was in the interview, they're trips, sometimes lavish, that brands plan for one or more influencers, journalists, or someone in the media in exchange for content and exposure. So we're discussing who we're going to use. We already actually presented to the client a whole plan. What does the itinerary look like for them? What do we need? Who are the type of people we're looking for? Here's some like sample names. And in that meeting, we were just kind of narrowing down on the client's feedback. And the feedback was very positive. They want to do it. It's one of the first times they're doing it. And we just have to send them like new people to consider. So we talked about that a lot and about, you know, um, also paying them because some people do require getting paid to go on these trips above getting all expenses paid. Reason for that is for people who's who this is their full-time job, that's a service day. That's a working day. And if yeah. they're going to go create content, like it's great that they're getting all these things paid for, but this is a day that they're missing of work back at home. Mm. So they will ask for payment. So I was helping them figure out a realistic budget that they're comfortable with. And then who can we bring on if that's all the money we had? 1.30, Lisette started planning a panel series for Ogilvy with someone on her team. This is a function of her job that doesn't really involve clients or influencers, but is more about educating the agency about the state of influencer marketing. She is the expert. In this meeting, they were coming up with the concept, outlining what they wanted the panel to look like, who they wanted to invite, who the moderator would be, all that good stuff. So the state of influencer marketing, let's summarize the findings, shall we? So... You know, the state of influencer marketing right now, I believe it's going to hit like more than 10 billion this year, just in how much people are spending on influencer marketing. And so it, it's a huge. It, people are spending money on it. People are interested in it. It's not dying anytime soon. Even if Instagram does die because of the way it keeps changing, we're going to find somewhere else to find influential people. So it's not so much about influencers, influencer marketing going away, but how is it evolving? And a lot of what I anticipate we're going to talk about is where are we today? I'm seeing long-term partnerships are more prevalent than like, you know, one campaign with 20 influencers. And it, again, it goes back to that theory of once we find the right person, it's better to just do campaigns over time because right. we're going to talk to their audience in a more relevant and authentic way. So what does that mean then for a brand? You probably will only work with three or five people who are right for you. That's that's kind of one big thing. Also, video and moving to different platforms is another big trend. Um, but it's also, we have to discuss why, right? So why are we using video? Do we need it to educate people? Do we want to tell that story that way? And 
and coming up with a with a validation as to why we're doing that. Moving to different platforms, of course, you're just following where the active users are. So again, TikTok is a big conversation because people are millions of people are downloading it every day. So how why would we use that? We're not just going to be on it because it's popular. Gen Z is on it. Are we trying to catch people at this like 18 year old range because we want them to think about us when they're shopping in five years? Sure. So really thinking about the intention behind changing up the way we do content. So why this? Why that? Another big conversation point is authenticity, right? So it's like the big buzzword in influencer marketing right now. And one thing influencers have been doing a lot more is seeing a shift from curated content. So the beautiful stylized filtered photo is now becoming an iPhone photo. And why and what does that mean for us? Because one of the selling points for influencer marketing to brands is like, and you get this high res content that you can repurpose. So if people think they need to use iPhone photos to be more authentic, are we losing that value of the high res imagery we would have paid a photographer to do? So it's just a conversation we need to have about if this is a trend, if more people are doing this like less curated content, then sure, it's working for them. They're talking to their audience better if their audience cares about that more. Mm-hmm. But we're losing on that one value point. So maybe the pricing changes or like what's changing with this or what does this even mean? It probably means for us, like we've got to put more relevant campaigns out there. 3.30, she pivoted to working on a digital brand integration with Well and Good for a vitamin brand. This was a collaboration on a larger scale. So that meant YouTube videos, social media posts, blog posts, etc. 4 p.m. and Lisette's pivoting back to admin work, coordinating with influencers on any missing deliverables, assignments, invoices, questions that come in, things like that. If all the coordination is settled, she also could be in this time networking and building relationships with influencers for future campaigns. Repeat business is preferred, but that trust doesn't come out of nowhere. Lisette has to genuinely invest and nurture in those relationships. The same goes for her audiences on TikTok and Instagram. Instagram, right? You have somewhere around 45,000 followers Mm -hmm. and you're saying you're engaging with them. But in your mind, what does engaging with your community actually mean? A perfect question. <laughs> so because the way the algorithm, the, the magical algorithm works now, it's definitely favoring people who get a lot of engagement. Mm-hmm. And the best way to get that is by being the engager with your own audience. So there's a couple of you have to be meaningful about it. You know, what I recommend are two things. One when you post content, you have to stick around. Mm -hmm. And if I'm posting content in the morning, I might stick around and not just who's commenting, because I find that a lot of people don't comment. It's just the Mm -hmm. way social media works now. You're maybe liking it, keep going. But you look at your likes and you go into those people's pages and go give them some love. Go tell them what's going on. You know, I love that. It doesn't even need to be another influencer. It can right. be just a person from high school that you forgot you followed, but they just liked your content. So go in and, and talk to them. Just being more meaningful and engaging with people who are engaging with you will definitely help build a community and build conversation, which is what I think social media is built for and what we need to bring it back to. And the second thing is around making sure that you clean up your own newsfeed to 
people you want to engage with. So if you find yourself scrolling past a lot of content, you probably shouldn't be following all those people. So really being intentional about who you follow will help you be more engaging because you're gonna wanna stop at every photo. 5 p.m. Lisette spent an hour checking Ogilvy and her side hustle emails and 6 p.m. Lisette left the office, came home, popped on a podcast and walked her dog, Milo. This next hour is crucial for Lisette to recharge and disconnect for a little bit because at 7 p.m. when her partner Justin got home, it was time to shoot a campaign for Gary V's wine brand. Justin's been an integral part of Lisette's content creation. He's always willing to help and Lisette even pays him a percentage if he does help. And it's so funny. I, I should have recorded behind the scenes of this because it was a situation. Like we, so they usually give you the brief, you know, and they're like, we want a natural setting. And, you know, it's wine. A natural setting in the winter is, I don't have a fireplace, but it's eating it with your dinner. So I prepared a whole meal for this, but you had to make sure, like we wanted to eat the food. So we wanted to have the whole setup ready by the moment the food is ready put it in, hit the shutter button, take a few photos, and then we can eat. So (laughs) while I was cooking, Justin was setting up our apartment. And then he set up the tripod. We set up lighting. I had like lighting I had to put because it was dark. It was night. I had the food ready, garnish, because, you know, that's part of it all. Um, The way that you have to pour the wine so that the glass, it, it all sounds so minute, but it was so detail oriented. And that's just the way I like to work. And then we sit down, we take the photo. Um, Again, we're good at working together. So it actually took five photos. That's it. Like we didn't take a hundred photos. It took five photos on the tripod, on self-timer. And it was great. And he was so hungry that day. He's like, can I eat now? I'm like, (laughs) you can eat now. Thank you for your contribution. Lisette's equipment includes a DSLR camera, three lenses, one good for portraits, and the others are for action shots, a vlogging camera, a tripod for days when Justin's busy, an iPad Pro, Adobe Lightroom and Photoshop for image editing, and Final Cut Pro if any video editing is needed. If you want more specifics on the exact brand she uses, head over to xadiddle.com to review the show notes for this episode. 10 p.m., Lisette went back to work, going back and forth between editing the photos she just shot with Justin earlier and videos for TikTok. Big trend, elephant in the room, TikTok. Let's, yes. Let's take some time now to talk about it because quite honestly, I'm very skeptical. I want to get your opinion on what TikTok could become or what it will become yeah. and why you decided to put any effort into it at all. Yeah. So I started to put effort into TikTok because just the downloads, right? So Mm -hmm. there were these numbers about how it was increasingly growing. To your point, last year, the main, I think it's 60% was India. Right. So there's not a lot of US people on it, but I'm just curious about new platforms. So I got on it, created a few videos. I had one video hit 120,000 views and it had like 50 followers. So I was like, whoa, there's something here. Another reason why I like it is because um, the content on it is very raw. It's just like people in their bedroom and putting T-shirts over their head to pretend like it's hair. Like it is so raw and fun. And, you know, Instagram has become so curated and intimidating for some people because it's so curated that going to TikTok, you you know, you're just going to laugh. So you, you can just be on it for fun. That's me as a consumer. Now, me as a brand, TikTok as a platform really um, 
supports and empowers brands to run successful campaigns. And what I mean is they have created landing pages for campaigns for a hashtag. That's just one thing. For example, uh, Mucinex did a Halloween campaign. It was too sick to be sick, as in like, I'm too cool. And when you click on the hashtag, you don't just like see a bunch of aggregated content as you would on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. You actually see a little landing page that takes up half the screen, explains Mucinex, and you can click out to the website. It also shows um, the top three videos are official partners. So if you partnered with influencers, they show up as the first three videos. And then it's all the aggregated content based on what's most popular. So it really helps create a campaign that's trackable and that can that's tangible. And the way the platform is designed outside from that. You can't just scroll endlessly. You have to stop. It stops you at every video. Yeah. So you're at least hooked for a second. Okay. It ends kind of mindless scrolling too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for your take yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> See you on TikTok. <laughs> Are you convinced? It moved the needle a little bit. It moved the needle a little We're at 11 p.m. on this day, and Lisette just finished editing the photos and writing out the caption, but instead of finishing work she had to do for her Instagram stories, Lisette decided to listen to what her body was telling her, which was, go to sleep. Rest is so important, as everyone knows, and she said she's been guilty of pushing through that fatigue to keep working, and all that's ever done is leave Lisette feeling even more stressed. What a day we just experienced. Before we go, if you're looking to be part of the influencer marketing world, here's what Lisette suggests for you. So if you're aspiring to be on the brand side of influencer marketing, you've got to present these ideas to your employer. Why I say that is because some more traditional employers might not see the value yet. And a lot of young people who are surrounded by social media can see the value of it as a consumer. They listen to influencers and are influenced by them. So you just have to present this to your company or find roles that are now booming and open that specifically are looking to focus on influencer marketing. So you just have to kind of put yourself out there and present that. On the being an influencer side, you have to figure out your niche. So you have to figure out what you want to talk about. What point of view do you have in this world? And it's okay if you think someone else has done it before because you will not say the same thing that person has said. Mm. Your story is your superpower and you will not have the same story. It's just impossible. So I always recommend like find out what that is, your niche, your story, tell it and build a community before you build a follower number because that matters so much more. You just experienced a day in the life of Lisette Calvero, influencer marketing extraordinaire. Follow her on Instagram and TikTok at Lisette Calv, and that's L-I-S-S-E-T-T-E-C-A-L-V. There's literally so much that we talked about that didn't make this episode, like her 2020 Instagram predictions, how she went quote-unquote viral for all the wrong reasons a few years ago, her 18-year-old self-advice, and so much more. So be sure to follow us on Instagram for some bonus content at a couple with a podcast. And if you like this episode, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. And for all the additional links, photos, and resources, we're actually building a really cool site at xadiddle.com. That's x-a-d-i-t-l.com. 
the one place where you can search, filter, scroll to experience a day in the life. Till next time.